just handed to me. The following podcast is a Sand Productions production. If anything should happen to me, you must go to court. You must say these words. Klaatu, Marada, Nikto. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Red Dwarf special on Sci-Fi Watcher. We're up to episode number 129, covering series 7 of Red Dwarf. Glad you guys could join us again this week. I am Corey Charette, and joining me as always, my friend, Mr. Brian Lee. Brian, how's it going? Hello. Smoke me a kippa. Skippa. <laughs> Stoke me a clip. I'll be back for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we geek out on Red Dwarf all the time here. We are in our seventh series of the show, but before we move on, to talk about it, I, I want to mention if you guys are subscribed to the regular feed, you're going to you hear this in our regular Sunday show. But I want to mention a friend again, Andrew Seuss, over from Hobart, Tasmania, where he sent an email to us at feedback at sayproductions.com. The Esperanto played a large part of life on board Red Dwarf in the first and second series. Uh, of course, signage on Red Dwarf in series two, episode one, features in um, signage was an Esperanto on the ship. And in uh, the first episode of series two, Crichton. Rimmer's taking lessons to advance his career. Uh, Red Dwarf turned him on to the language with its regular grammar and innocent hope for the future. It actually says Esperanto means one who hopes. And if you want to find out more about Esperanto, go over to learnu.net. That's L-E-R-N-U dot net. L-E-R-N, the letter U dot net. I want to thank Andrew for the email. And he also donated to the show. Which how can you donate? Very easy. Just head on over to sci-fiwatcher.com slash donate. There's many ways to help out. Not just money. We have a wish list. We also uh, any uh, unused or used electronics that you're not using that we could probably use to help the show out. Greatly appreciated. Or just word of mouth. Head on over right now to sci-fiwatcher.com slash donate. All right. So series seven of the show starred uh, Craig Charles as Dave Lister. Chris Berry as Arnold Rimmer. Danny John Jules as Cat. Chloe Annette is Christine Kachansky, and of course, Robert Llewellyn is Crichton. Uh, this aired from January 17th to March 7th, 1997, and the episodes were Ticket to Ride, Stoke Me a Clipper, Ouroboros, Duck Soup, Blue, Beyond the Joke, Epideme, and Nanarchy. Now, this is the first series we actually get eight episodes instead of the traditional six. You think that's a good thing or a bad thing, Brian? Uh, are you asking judging by this season? <laughs> well, before you even go into the season, are you happy that you got eight episodes instead of six? I'm okay with it. Of course, this season changes a lot of things that I kept yelling at you. Don't look at anything. Don't read anything. I don't want you to be spoiled, you know? I wasn't spoiled, just the one Kachansky thing. Yeah, of course, we'll get to that. Yeah, this, so this this is part, uh, Ticket to Ride, the first episode's part two from last season when they met their future selves 15 years in the future that was attacking their ship, and Rimmer was the only one alive. And this episode starts off with uh, Lister doing a um, little, uh, I want to say webcam thing almost, where he's, he's got a portable camera, and he's talking about how they survived the, the uh, fight against themselves. Yeah, that was kind of funny. And uh, his explanation basically blew up the camera. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny how somebody with a little camera like that, nowadays people have cell phones and they're doing the same idea with videos. I like how he said see attached and, you know, play a little playback. Mm -hmm. Like thinking nowadays you could do that, 
Mm-hmm. You could actually record yourself and say, oh, see the attachment, you know? Yes, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Yes. Red Dwarf predicts the future. <laughs> yeah, so of course the ship was dis- destroyed, but when you destroy the ship, the future people didn't exist, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and, I, I, you know, it starts off with uh, there's, they're down on supplies. There's a flood and beat deck. There's no curries or pump thumbs, and uh, all the Indian food supplies are ruined. Of course, that ruins, you know, Lister's Day. But there's no wreckage or debris down there either. And that's just a throwaway line you never think about again. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the show felt so much different. You know, it's funny. is This takes place not too long after the end of Series 6. But if the show felt different. There, that, it was weird that scene they were walking in Starbucks together and how big the ship looked. Yeah. Um, do they talk about it in the show? Because I was reading, I'm reading something about it. And they said that the time paradox created a larger Starbug. I, I, I didn't think they mentioned anything in the show. I thought it was the same Starbug, but I guess that would be your uh, fan fiction way of writing around the explanation. But yeah, the ship looked different. Like even like, I don't know if you noticed it, but like the bridge, when they're on the bridge, it felt like they were sitting further apart from each other. And that could just mean that they had a different set. Yeah. They had to build a new set. I don't know that that part's not in there, but yeah, because it felt, I mean, because like the scene where you see, you know, Lister sits in front of Rimmer, Rimmer looked like he was sitting much further back and further away from Crichton. I didn't think about that till just now. It, okay. it, go watch like the first few minutes. It's just, it didn't feel the same to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's like, and, and weird feeling. Kachansky looked different. The yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to Kachansky in a little bit. But yeah, this first episode, you know, it's all because Lister wants to uh, get a, curry supplies so they go back to that uh simulant ship to get the time drive which now is like a handheld device right before it was something they had to hook up to the ship now it's a handheld device i was wondering if they were just this was that device that uh Crichton used in a couple seasons back is it the same one where they went to that um wax planet no that was something else that, that could teleport them around to i thought that was the device they were using this is a time drive this one actually takes you back in time but now it can take you back in time in space then they never explained that before it just took you back in time but see they blew that up but they blew it up but yeah it's like it didn't exist on the, i don't know some weird thing they explained i don't know how they did it yeah it was just really kind of backwards yeah it was kind of weird you know and um i, I love you know, Crichton goes offline so, you know, Lister sneaks down there, unscrews the head, puts the other head on, and the other head wants to go crazy. Yeah. Override the guilt chip and disable the behavior protocols. I like that, Crichton. I don't know. Did you? Th- there was a scene where he's lifted the, the top of his head and put the little stick up like a car hood. Yeah. It almost felt like the scene from, from uh, Terminator 2. When oh, were, yeah. A little bit. I'm like, eh, it's kind of like Terminator 2 a little bit to me. That's funny. But I love the whole idea of going back to try and go back to 22nd century. And, of course, they go back to November 22nd, 1963 mm-hmm. and knock Lee Harvey Oswald out of the window. You know, I, I love the whole idea of changing the timeline. Kennedy lives. The world goes to hell in a handbasket. You know, people move out of the major cities. They, I think they stayed there a little too long, though. It did yeah. seem like it. Yeah. It did seem like it. No, but I, I mean, I like the idea. You know, they, they, they're in 1966. They find a dead body. They find out everyone's out of the area. Then they go get some stuff. And later that night, they're eating this chicken. <laughs> and then Crichton's like, that's not the chicken, you know? Yeah. That, that's the dead guy we saw earlier. It's like, 
Oh my god. <laughs> That's disgusting. No, but I love the idea that they went, you know, they went back to 63 again, went to the floor, told told Oswald to go up a floor. They had to go down a floor so they don't bump into themselves. Right. And then he shoots Kennedy at a, a steeper angle and he still lives. And then they have to go to they go to, you know, 1966 to talk to Kennedy and say, "Hey, come back in time and stand behind the grassy knoll and shoot yourself." I thought so it was that's where the second shooter was. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting <laughs> idea. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, it'd be a great idea, and you'll have the conspiracy theorists trying to figure it out for ages. You know. Yeah, I thought it was a great. You know, I thought it was a great idea to uh, playing with the timelines, but then we get back to the Starbug at the end there, and it felt like that scene just went too long. I'm like, why? Why is this story still going? Yeah, that's that's what I mean. I, I felt like that was too long of a story. I mean, at the end, you know, you know, Lister figured out there was no debris, so he went and got the curries from the past and brought them to the present before they got destroyed. That got flooded out on the B deck. Yeah, and it was just like that whole last I think like it was two longer th- than thirty minutes too. It was. It was like thirty three minutes or something like that. It's like was this bonus material or something? Because I just it felt too long to me. I just like okay, the story's over. What is this now? What do we have this here? Um, it could be that they're playing um, – because you, you watched this on Netflix like I did, right? Yeah. Because there is an extended version of it, and maybe that's what they did. They tacked on the extended version. Honestly, I don't think they should have extended it. It just – that ending just had no purpose for me. Yeah. So, but, you know, kind of a slow start to a season, I thought. Which, yeah. Yeah, it takes it, us to- it, it was It, it kind of took you out of it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's it was a, a big change. I mean, yeah, the whole set looks so much different to me. It's a, a different feel. And like when they were walking, like you said, when they were walking around and they're just walking and talking, and there's nothing going on. Mm. That part was kind of slow too. Yeah, which takes us to the second episode. Stoke me a clipper. Um, Ace is back. Ace Reba. I love Ace. <laughs> Smoke me a kip. I'll be back for breakfast. I, I love that, you know, it starts off with him on a plane in World War II, this Nazi universe in World War II type of area. You know, he jumps out of a plane, landing on the alligator. That whole fight scene at the beginning was hilarious. I, I loved it. Oh, yeah. This one is a lot better. Yeah. I mean, this, this, is, this is classic Red Dwarf to me. The whole ace thing at the beginning. Killing the Nazis, shooting them all. You know, saving the woman. And then I love at the end, the two guys are like lucky to be alive and all of a sudden the alligator lands on them and kills them. Yeah. And that, that's the red dwarf I like. Yeah. I was like, all right, this is great. Like we got Ace again. I'm like, I miss him. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Lister and Crichton going into the AR machine, which is looks different now that you can like lay down in it and go into it instead of standing up. You know, right? Yeah, so, it looked more more detailed. Yeah, they changed the machine up now, and Lister goes in there with cheats in the medieval times. So he can uh, joust, joust a, 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 the the knight, the king's knight. We got to see Brian Cox as well mm-hmm. as a medieval king. Yeah, and uh, the um, yeah, just so he could sleep a day and a night in the bed with the king's wife. You know, so he yeah. uses uses these cheat codes to win. <laughs> and then of course, she has a chastity belt, and of course, he has a cheat code for that. <laughs> that part was funny. I love it. It's like he's like, oh, you'll never get away. It's like chasta cheat. <laughs> it falls off. <laughs> you know, it, it's hilarious. And then of course, the, there's a power failure, and you find out Ace is back in our dimension again. 
And then what did you think of the story of Ace, the, the true story of, of Ace Rimmer? You mean like how he's been regenerated all this time and he's actually a hologram too? Yeah, that it's there there've been the holograms. I like it. I, I it it makes sense to me. I thought it was a great idea that, you know, yeah. they pass it down from one ace one one rumor to another. That's an awesome way to tell a legacy of someone who's heroic like that. Oh, we can't let him die. Right. He's too valuable to our history. And they train the next one, you know. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting to see Arnold try to be be Ace, pretend to be Ace. You know, try I wanna, to. I was hoping they would, you know, later on in the season they would revisit that, but, you know, no, obviously not. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. You know, he tries, he shows Arnold how to become, you know, Ace Rimmer, and it's kind of funny trying seeing him try to change his voice, and it kind of like cracks and stuff like yeah. that. But since he is a hard light, you know, it, he's. Virtually indestructible. Pretty much. You know, yeah. pretty much indestructible. But it was interesting to see, you know, the, you know, they had this little coffin that sends the light bee off to a specific spot with all the other Ace Rimmers. And, you know. That was said, creepy. He said, we'll follow, you know, you know, if Ace says, you know, if you're not sure if you want to do it, Arnold, we'll follow it there. And you'll find out. And you find out, like, the whole, like, reign of a planet is nothing but these little coffins. Yeah. So there's been but that many aces. It's a natural progression to the way we were introduced to Ace Rimmer because he was he sought out to find all his Rimmers, right? Mm-hmm. Through all the different uh, galaxies, uh, not galaxies, dimensions. Dimensions, yeah, yeah. That was the, that was probably my favorite episode. Yeah, it was. But I mean, the de- the thing that disappointed me was the fact that the title of the episode was like the punchline. Oh yeah. You know, Ace gets in his, Arnold gets in the ship pretending he's Ace and stoke me a clipper. I'll be back for Christmas. I'm like, I love that. I was waiting forever for them to say it. I know, but it's like, you shouldn't have called the episode that. You should not have? I don't think you should have. It's like, why put the punchline in the title? I liked it. I liked the joke, but it would have been better if the episode wasn't called Stoke Me a Clipper. (laughs) So yeah, believe it or not, Arnold left the show. Right. You were telling me that um, the actor had another show he was doing so that that tied him up he was very busy he was very popular and very busy at that time very talented actor and uh yeah he was getting burnt out he's like i gotta i gotta walk away from the show so they wrote him out of the show he's he's gone which is like wow you know so now we're we're down one crew member and of course to me you know you don't have a rimmer it's kind of like you kind of lose the the chemistry between the four right you know there's something there they all bounced off each other which takes us to Aroboros, which is one word I've always learned, and I always learned it from Red Dwarf. <laughs> this is one of those words I always know what it means because of this show. It's was interesting in your mind now. It is. It, I love how it starts off at the Eggbirth Arms in Liverpool on November 26, 2155, with a baby in a box with the word Aroboros written on the side. Or Rob or Ross. Yeah. They're like, oh, you call him Rob or Ross, you know? And then, and that's all you know. And then you go into the present day and uh, the disturbance in space time, and you find out there's another, there's like a connection, hyperway between these two realities. And they see, you know, our crew sees Crichton, a gold plated Crichton, a hologram Lister and Cat, and Christine Kachansky is alive over there, you know, which is a different Christine, which kind of upset me a little bit. Well, I don't think we got enough of. Kachansky in the other episodes. We just got like a few seconds of time, so it didn't really bother me. That I know, much. but I knew 
who the, who Kachansky was all throughout those six years. That I was like, wait a minute, you're not Kachansky. Yeah, but I always use the theory that it's a parallel universe, so she might look different. Yeah, could be. Yeah, that's that was my only stretch for that. Uh, yeah, so this this introduces us to Kachansky and our thing. She she wants uh, since Lister our Lister is alive, she wants his um, <clears throat> deposit into the in vitro tube so she can have children in the future if she ever wants to. Uh huh. Because I mean, basically, he's the only human left. Yeah, and there's no, you know there's no males on her ship that she can get it from since her Lister is a hologram. Yeah, and it's of course it's funny watching our Lister. He's he looks like a wreck. He's got he, he chipped his tooth. He's put some wood glue on it. He flossed. He's got floss stuck in his teeth. He he's wearing a pink like bathrobe. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to that look. That's kind good. of disgusting with the floss. Yeah, it was. It was like oh my god. Uh, and then he showed a flashback of how she she saw him. She caught Lister smuggling the cat on board. She caught Frankenstein. You know. Yeah. A call back to the beginning there, and she say, she doesn't disintegrate the cat which i love it's a microwave you just disintegrate the, the stuff in <laughs> you see a little cat with the big cat eyes looking at you like please don't kill me <laughs> it was interesting that yeah she was put in suspended animation she was put in stasis on in that dimension or that reality mm-hmm. as ours was put as lister was put in ours it was like okay that's an interesting way to explain how she you know she came around and then he did a callback to the Gulf battle cruisers chasing them, and you find out it's Lister's bride. Oh yeah, and they're they're trying to muck up things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try to lose try to lose the Gelf. Of course, Kachansky's on our side because the Gelfs cut the the connection between the two realities temporarily. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, I don't know. It kind of got weird there. She's going back during the hyperway. She's walking back with her crew. And Lister realizes, you know, a snake eating his own tail is called Ouroboros. And he fi- figures out somehow that he's his own father. Which is, that throws me. I'm like, what? How did you figure that out from the snake eating its own tail that the, you're your own father? That just could be a coincidence, you know? Why would you make it so complicated to tell yourself that in the future? That's, that's kind of gross, though. But it, it's kind of weird that he jumped, you know, he's, he'd say, hey, Run, he's running, hey, by the way, give me the tube. You know, that's our kid, and I'm I'm my own father, et cetera, et cetera. And, it's you know, kind of like a Terminator in a way. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> she she comes back to our side, even though she wants to be over there, which is weird. It's like, make up your mind. Do you want to be with us, or you want to be with, with those guys? Right. Because then later on, she's like, I want to get back to my own dimension, my own reality. It's like, she can't make up her mind where she wants to be. So we're stuck with Kachansky, and of course, somehow in the future, they travel to the past to put baby Lister underneath the uh, pool table. Yeah, what do you think about the Kachansky and Crichton feud? I didn't really care about it. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to to say he's you know ironing her bra on his head. Yeah, but it's funny. But it, it didn't. Do you feel like it got old? It did. Okay. It did. I mean, I think they're trying to put something there since Rimmer's gone that we had to fill in. We had to have somebody negative because yeah. Rimmer was was the negative one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess Crichton filled that role. I guess I, d- d- he didn't fill it well. Well, speaking yeah. speaking of Crichton's dislike towards Kachansky, which brings us to Duck Duck Soup. Right. You know they can't sleep. The Christine's hitting the pipes because it's making weird noises. It's not making them in the right order. You know, it, you know, it's just 
it's basically what I happens. Think in Crichton making noises when I when I first heard it. <laughs> really? Did it sound like Crichton's voice? I didn't, I didn't think of that. You might be right. I thought it was because Crichton was pissed at her that he was making those noises. It wouldn't have surprised me. That would have been funny if they had actually written that in the story that way. I want to. I want to find out because I, I kept thinking, is that Crichton making those noises? <laughs> that would have been hilarious. But even even Lister said when he slept in there and made those noises. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Lister tries to be nice, draws her a bath, but all of a sudden the generator goes down and the backups go down and all the doors get locked. So they're all stuck together and then they have to go through the ducts, you know. And that's all the story is, is just walking through the duct or crawling through the ducts. This is probably my least favorite of the it, episode. It is mine too. It, there was no substance to this. I watched, when I was watching this again, I'm like, there's still nothing here. Yeah, can we just fast forward the pipes because that was dumb. It really, there was nothing funny. The explanation funny. for the pipes wasn't even funny. No, and then at the end, of course, at the end, they, they land right where they started. And yeah. then Crichton's like, yeah, I, I put the, the doors on override so this wouldn't, they wouldn't lock down. And I, I was the one that did this. And then I was like, okay, now well, well, why do we have to go through 30 minutes? They actually extended this episode three minutes, by yeah. the way. I don't understand why. It, it, it made no sense to me. It's a throwaway episode. It real. It's one of those ones that you just fast forward through and skip. Which brings us to the next one, Blue, which of course is Lister missing for some ungodly reason. Brimmer. Yeah. You know this is a this has flashbacks where you know there's a golf a golf thing you know playing golf on a moon and they're doing uh picking lockers. You know they'd always break into lockers and whatever was in the locker you get to keep. Yeah. You that know? was pretty funny. Yeah, it was funny. And there was a part. The Nace shows up on the ship, and he, and you know, or Rimmer, or, whoever, or Arnold, whoever you want to call him. And then they're talking to each other, and they they miss each other, and they start to hug, and they're about to kiss. I'm like, okay, this is funny. And of course, yeah. it's a dream. You know, um, game playing games night, like you know, what's that smell and stuff like that. <laughs> right. It's like Chansky didn't like those games, right? No, she had the game called the Magic Flute where you hum a section of an aria and other people have to guess who's singing it. Ugh. And of course, Lister can't live without Rimmer, it seems like. So I love that this is probably one of the most memorable parts of this whole series. Crichton created a, 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 a thing in the AR suite called the Rimmer Experience, which is basically one of those like rides where you get in a cart and you just like look at all the things like going parts on the caribbean kind of like that yeah that's a good yeah. example only like, way creepier <laughs> yeah because it's all about arnold rimmer you know and you notice that they like made their faces kind of look like wax or something yeah their teeth were super white their faces were kind of like waxy I was like, it's like oh rimmer please save us <laughs> you know it's like oh god it's so cheesy and then that whole song you know that was the best part. Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. It's like it, it's so catchy. It is. I mean, these guys are really good at making show tunes. Remember, like, was it season one, end of season one, where they made this whole song? And- the tongue-tied song, yeah. Very similar. Yeah, this was great, and it's so disgusting. I love when they come out. Rimmer's uh, Lister's like, I never want to see or hear from that scum-sucking, line weasel minded smegger in my entire life. And am I right? That's the whole reason that Crichton made that? Uh-huh. So they would stop saying how they miss him? Yeah, because Crichton goes, Sigmund Freud, eat your heart out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was, that was probably one of the most memorable episodes in this 
season and maybe the maybe the best i don't know or it's up there um beyond the jokes the next one uh this is the one where Crichton makes a lobster dinner they they found in a a cryogenic thing from the nova 5 one of the ships they find but instead kachansky's having them go in in jane jane austen world in the ar machine to the pride pride and prejudice world which i thought was hilarious you know Pride and Prejudice land in Jane Austen world. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Bennett and their five, the five sisters, you know, <laughs> of course. It's, Ugh. I love it. I love how Crichton goes in there and tries to kill them all. You know, the poison dart. He, he canes one upside down. I love how he tries right. to kill. It's funny. I think it's funny. He has to I know. It's hilarious. I love the T-72 tank that he <laughs> put in there. He blows it up. He goes, perhaps I didn't make myself clear. I said supper was ready. <laughs> you know, and then they're eating lobster and, cr- and Lister's asking for ketchup. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Cr- this, is, this is pretty much a Crichton episode. Crichton's head explodes. They put the sparrow on and it explodes. Yeah, then of course they have to go to a, si- they go, there's a, they go to a ship. Hopefully getting mech supplies of simulants on the ship. Oh, yeah. That's when they disguise themselves as gelfs. <laughs> and, of course, the cat screws up. He starts talking English, or Earth, as, as, the, as the simulant says. I, thought, I think I had the creepiest voice, the, uh, the simulant. Yeah, they, they always have those weird, raspy type of voices. Yeah. And, of course, you know, they, they get the heads and the primers for the heads for, for Crichton, but, of course, their ship gets ransacked to keep them occupied. And Crichton's... Crichton is gone, of course, his ram chip's gone. And you find out that there's another 4000 series called Abel mm-hmm. on, on the ship who, who uh, he's addicted to. Dumbed Ultrazone. down version, right? Well, I don't think he's dumbed down. I think it's the, the highly addictive drug Ultrazone that made him that way. That's right. You know, because his motherboards are kind of burnt out. Kind of talk like a redneck or something, though. Yeah. They both have the same motherboard. Technically, they're brothers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of interesting though how uh, the uh, the guys in Starbucks they're they're flying off or something like that, and then what is it? The other ship starts turns around, and starts tracking them, and then all of a sudden they they do a one eighty to go back, thinking that there's a bomb on the ship or something. Right. They they you know they're like oh we that get- part kind of lost me when they said that. They said oh they're gonna figure out there's a bomb there, and I was like what. They're gonna think we the, that we think there's a bomb there because we're heading like away from them or something like that or the way that the, part was I was lost when they started explaining that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to wait to end the episode. Yeah, and then it got a little. Like, they got really weird. They're playing music and stuff, and they're supposed to be in the asteroid belt, and they're going silent, so they can't make any noise. But Abel sneaks to the front of the bridge, uses ultrazone, and then makes moves the ship. It's like uh, it's kind of hokey here. And he brings his uh, negativity and puts it as a puts the, it on the ship. The nega drive energy, yeah. He shoots yes. it onto the simulus ship that destroys itself. That's a little hokey. They, I think they set it all up just for one line. The escape pod lands on a moon, and of course, Crichton carries the the body in, and and Lister's like, "You need any help?" And Crichton's like, "No, sir. He ain't heavy. He's my brother." I'm like, oh, you had to go there. Is that from Of Mice and Men or something? That's or? a song. I don't know if it's from a book or anything, but it's a song called He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Oh, okay. But it's just like, oh, I lost that. <laughs> uh. And then, of course, they go back to Jane Austen world. This time they're eating curry. <laughs> right. 
And then we get the two, I call it a two-part story. The first one's Epidine. Um, it always seems like they run into lots of ice planets and stuff. I guess because it's easy to do. I guess. Something's buried in the Astro Glacier, Starship. And they find a life sign on the ship, which I thought was interesting. Caroline Carmen was a supply officer once on Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, love, I love how, how listeners are like, ah, we used to date for a while like that. And they're like, well, she's still alive. Well, maybe she won't remember, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe she has amnesia. I love it. The ice won't melt, though, and they bring it on the ship, and it somehow melts overnight. And it's basically like almost like a Walking Dead episode type of thing. Yes. Which is very disgusting. Yeah, she, she, she carries the Epidem virus, and she you know gives it to Lister, which is very disgusting. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a great idea, though. That the virus transfers from body to body, and then if it can't find anybody, it, it'll freeze it, freeze the body up, and you know, keep it alive for a while until you know somebody else comes around. Because she's been dead for three million years, there was no life signs inside her. The virus was the life sign, right? Which is an intelligent organism. I love that. You know. Yeah, and then this is the first time we get to see Kachansky kind of save the day, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I love the idea. They, they, you know, they try to talk to the virus, and of course, the virus won't hear it. You know, it's, it's like you can't, you can't, um, you can't. Um, oh yeah, they, they they can talk to it now. They can talk to it. They have it hooked up to a machine somehow and talk to it. But the idea is, it's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that they're going to inject antivirals in the body and try to force it into their arm. And of course, you know, Lister's like, put it into my left arm. I do all my favorite things with my right arm. And it's like, yes. oh god. So, of course, he's passed out, and they try to do it, and, of course, it goes the wrong way, and it goes into his right arm, and they keep cutting, and they keep cutting, and they cut almost the whole thing off. That was really gross. It was, but it looked pretty good, though. Yeah. And then he wakes up, he looks at his left, he looks at his left arm, he's like, ah. Oh. He looks at his right arm, he starts screaming, and he starts yelling at Kachansky. He's like, he's like you didn't, you're a navigation officer, you don't know your difference between your left and your right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought it was a great idea. Of course, Lister wants to kill himself, too, you know, and kill the virus. But I love the idea that they found out that Leviathan was heading somewhere to, to find a cure for this virus. So, yeah. you know, Lister's like, okay, well, we'll get on Starbucks and we'll go. And I love how, how Crichton convinces the virus to tell him how to make the Starbucks engines more efficient and faster to get them there in time. That was pretty genius. That yeah. was pretty good. You know, they get to the planet, of course, it's all burnt up and stuff like that. Kachansky... You know, grabs uh, Carmen's arm and uses her own arm to, and kills Lister. They actually stop Lister's heart so the virus could bite into this arm that, of course, isn't her arm. And they all run out of the room. All, that's like, the cats, of course, cats like pass out on the floor after watching the arm get cut off. And the other two are walking out of the room. They'll come back and, Mr. Lister! <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back to life. And of course, then we get a to be continued on this one. Yeah. It's it's becoming all too common, right? Yeah, it is. You, you watch Crichton. Uh, Nanarchy, of course, is the last one. You know, Crichton is helping Lister play the guitar. And they're talking about lots of people that had one arm that went on to successful lives, like Venus de Milo. And the cat men- men- mentions that uh, that Mexican guy, the one arm yeah. ba- the one arm bandit. <laughs> and of course, oh no, Cr- and Van Gogh too. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're a Van Gogh. That was his ear, though. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, Crichton's on twenty four hour wipe alert. And Kachansky's like, what's that? Don't don't tell me what that is. <laughs> and he, he explains that every time he eats something, if he has any crumbs on his face, he has to wipe them off. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez. Come on. You think it's going to be something else when you say wipe alert. Right. Mm. Uh, the um, Yeah, so they, of course, they give him a fake arm, and he tries to 
to use the arm. And of course, that's you know typical jokes, punching Crichton and stuff like that. Would you would you think of the idea of the nanobots, the little little robots that can repair things? I thought it was a neat concept. Um, one thing I didn't get is how they retrace their steps back to the is it called the despair squid? The, dis- the despair squid? Yeah. Like it's, okay, they just time jumped and went back or something, right? They 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 went to a deep. They put them in a deep sleep. Yeah, but they 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 were pulled out of the deep sleep early because they found something scanners on a planetoid, of of course a frozen planet. Of course, and it's, it's showing up as red dwarf is there somewhere. Yeah, that was that was really really confusing. Yeah, they went to a deep sleep to get back there because it was gonna take them like two hundred years because that was before they went into. That was before series. Six when he went to sleep, yeah. Series five or six when he was in, he woke up from that deep sleep. So they have to obviously go back into deep sleep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know the, the whole scene was like whatever. You're sitting sitting inside the thing talking to each other. I was excited when they brought a they brought stuff in from Red Dwarf and then there's a watch and they turn the watch on and it's Holly. But it's why isn't the isn't it the new Holly? That's the part I didn't understand. Who knows? But it's Holly again. The original Holly knows. I was so excited the first time I saw that. I was that. pumped seeing it. I was just like, what, what happened to the female Holly? I love that. I love it. And I love they tracked the nanobots down to uh, Lister's dirty laundry basket. Yeah. Which, of course, he, they recreate Lister's arm from that, too. That's the whole idea. They wanted to recreate Lister's arm. Right. So you can do that. But, of course, they also could re- recreate Red Dwarf. Which, of course, you know, you get that last scene where Starbucks flying next to Red Dwarf and you hear the music. And Red Dwarf is back, baby. Except Starbucks now looks like it's very small. Yeah, that was the last thing they mentioned. So now we have a cliffhanger again. And how many seasons has it been since we were on Red Dwarf? Three? Two? I think two. I think seasons, I think series five, six and seven. I think five we had it. So it's a series it's about six. About time. I know. Well, the show's called Red Dwarf. Let's go back to Red Dwarf. Yeah. Now, watching this whole season, how do you think the Kachansky character? Do you do you like her as being this fourth character, or? I I really think she's more of a filler spot. You know, it's just like she's just filling rumor spot. Huh? Yeah, we have an empty seat here. Let's put somebody in it. Um, I don't know. I, I she I doesn't do it. I really do miss Rimmer. I do too. I, um, you know, seeing them, seeing her play off of Lister is funny at the beginning, but then it's just like, ah, whatever. To me, this is like the weakest series so far. Yeah, it's a lot of changes. Too many changes. You know. And by the way, um, when I was watching it, one of the a couple of the episodes didn't have a laugh track. I me think too. You, you 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 almost need it there. Yeah, there was a weird feeling. Like the first, I think first and third episodes did not have a laugh track. It felt just like it was like it was like they were doing something, and then it just was like really quiet. Like they were waiting for like the laugh was supposed to be in that that dead space. Yeah, you know, like at like the end of that f- first episode where Lister's eating that curry by himself. I'm like, this just looks weird. Yeah, I think shows like this have to have it. I don't know why they didn't put it in. I don't either. I mean. But they're in some of the other stories, so I didn't understand that if that's like the special edition version or what. But I was well reading up. It says that um, because of the higher production value they put into this, that they couldn't have a live audience, and they added the laugh track later. But I don't know why they missed some of these. But they put there's more budget into the show. But you know what? To me, the special effects, like the ship outside, looked really hokey. 
like Starbucks flying around these like like fluorescent colored moons and stuff. The colors yeah. were too bright. But maybe that's that's part of the charm that they want to convey. I don't know. It just it looked too fake to me outside when they were flying around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is the weakest season in my opinion. I'm, I mean, the the highlight of the season is Red Dwarf. The last few moments, Holly, Red Dwarf. It's like I want to watch series eight now to see what the heck's happening. Why are they small? Do you miss the this this female Holly? No, I don't. I prefer okay. the, I prefer the male Holly actually. Huh. Okay. I, I do, but you know uh, what? I I'm not arguing. We have Holly. We have Red Dwarf. The boys from the dwarf are back. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. Well, you never know, but we will talk about that next week on the show. Of course, I want to thank Mr. Brian Lee for being here. Brian, where can we find you online? I can always find me on Twitter. It's at Brian Says. Of course, we are always at SciFiWatcher.com. Follow us over there. Uh, you want to talk to us, go through the social media sites, Facebook.com slash SciFiWatcher, Google.com slash plus SciFiWatcher, Twitter at SciFiWatcher. Feedbook, feedbook, <laughs> feedback, <laughs> Feedback at SayProductions.com is our email. And 813-915-6390 is our voicemail anytime, day or night. I want to thank everyone out there for downloading this special Red Dwarf edition of Sci-Fi Watcher. And until next time, have a good one.